Dive into honest and in-the-moment conversations about the power of music and other engaging topics with some of the world's best DJs, producers, artists, engineers, and others from the Serato Studio. This is Serato Unscripted. In this episode, Willie Joy takes over for a special back-to-back featuring trap pioneer Flostradamus. Both being from Chicago, they have a lot of shared history, funny stories, and a deep knowledge of the world of DJing. Check it out. All right, let's get it. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Feeling really good. Yeah, you're how you looking doing? good. I'm doing pretty well. I, we were talking before we started recording. I had a weird night. Yeah. Some some muscle cramps. Didn't get a lot of sleep, but I'm I'm feeling good. We're rallying. Yeah, man. You look great. Thank you, brother. As always. Thank you, man. Where Where is this from? This uh This shirt that yeah. I'm wearing <laughs> is bootleg Burberry from China. Uh, I was really hoping you were going to say it was bootleg. Oh, it's bootleg. <laughs> this is Jockey Club Edition. I, I don't even know what that is. It might be polo. I don't know. So talk talk about the bootleg markets for a second, because yeah. we've talked a little bit about it, but I want to hear, like, that's like a main reason you're going to Asia, right? Like, that's like a bonus. <laughs> the, shows are, the shows are the shows are third on the <laughs> tier. It goes bootleg food and then shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the... I, I'm that was a joke, but the honestly, I love going to Asia. the 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 scene right now is amazing out there. Like, it feels like how EDM was kind of bubbling in the states a few years ago or yeah. whatever. Like, it just has a different, fresh vibe. Everyone's really inspired. So, going there is dope. I love to do that, and then I get to go shop for all the bootleg stuff, which is like one of my favorite things. Like get the fake Gucci, fake Louis, or even like the fake Suprome. Like they have like <laughs> all the misspelling bootleg stuff is like my favorite. Well, because that's almost like, it's like so wrong that it comes back around to being really dope. Yeah, you know? exactly. And they'll do these collabs, like Burberry Gucci collabs, like that never yeah, would happen. Right. And they're it's so like some fire. some alternate reality shit. Dude, I, I actually almost, if they weren't going to fall apart because they're so <laughs> bad, they made these like Yeezy slides, like a D, they were fully Adidas branded. I'll show you on my phone in a minute, but they're fully Adidas branded. They had the Yeezy sole and the Yeezy fabric, but there were slides that never have existed ever, That's but they so were amazing. so fire. And like, I don't know, these companies should actually take that like the bootleg cue and reintegrate it into their yeah, company. Yeah, exactly, like, man. Cause that's the, the new rarity, you know, it's like yeah. scarcity is what makes all of these brands so powerful definitely, and yeah. controlling it. But it's like, you know, for now we're in LA, like if you want to go get S- Supreme or whatever, there's like a store, you know yeah, where to course, go yeah. get it. Yeah. But like, if you want to get the Supremes, you can't get that. Oh, you exactly, know? man. I'm flexing on everyone. <laughs> It's yeah. not a bad idea for brands in general. It's like have one place in the world, Ooh, like make yeah. it like, cause you know, everything's global now. You can get things shipped, but yeah. like, what if you actually had to travel somewhere to yeah. go get it? You know, dude, that'd actually be a good idea. It would be kind of like how Supreme is very exclusive and stuff like that. And of course, just like that, everything would get bought up and then resold at a higher price, but it's worth it. It's that rarity. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I like that, man. Down. Well, and we are in LA yeah. right now. And you're a new LA resident, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, I moved. I moved out here in January, but I've been on the road since January. Uh, 
But I finally got a house at the end of August, and I'm official now. I got my California ID. Oh, there you I go. went surfing. I'm a I, I'm official. Oh LA. wait, you actually went surfing? Yeah, we yeah. talked about you were going to. Yeah, I've been going like every weekend. So this is this past weekend was my second weekend. I'm still a grom. I'm still like <laughs> I don't know. I'm still trying to learn it, learn how to do it. But it's good. That's it's dope, man. That's you know integrating into the Cali lifestyle. Definitely, yeah. I've got the diet changed. I've got the surfing. Like I'm just doing the whole Cali thing. <laughs> I got a nice little base coat of tans right 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 has it been uh being out here has it been affecting how you work and your creativity like do you notice a difference from when you were living in the midwest or on the east coast yeah i i don't know i just feel a little more chill and a little more comfortable in my own skin i guess like when i was living i mean when i was living in the midwest it was nothing but natural vibes and like creative and i had a bunch of good people around me that just like helped me create and then on the east coast it, it kind of like pushed me to work harder and like grind. And then I came out here and I don't have the push, but I have the New York state of mind of just like, I got to grind, I got to keep grinding. But there's something about the energy here in LA that just makes me relax and just like kind of take it at my own pace. And it's, it's a good contrast. And like right now I'm trying to find this balance in my life. And I think out here is a good balance coming from New York to this Cali vibe to chill it out and focus. Yeah, man. And it's, it's interesting because LA, I think for musicians, for people doing what we do, it can feel overwhelming and stressful just because everybody's here. But you're right, there's something about the vibe here. Maybe it's even just like the traffic. It's yeah. like everybody is running around trying to do shit, but like it just takes a long time. Yeah, you know? definitely. I, maybe that's part of it because you're right. Like I'll come out here and, you know, I live in San Diego. I'm a couple hours away and San Diego is like the chillest place in the world. Yeah. But I'll come up here and my anxiety will go up a little bit because you do have that sense of like, it's just all happening all around you. But then at the same time, like in a day in LA, like you could really only do like a couple things. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. I noticed that with a lot of the people I, I get into sessions with too, like they, if they meet up with me for a session, that's like the one big thing they're doing. So they kind of make it count and they do, I don't know, they put a the little more effort in once they get there. Yeah, that's a good point like, too, right? It's a commitment. Yeah. And exactly. so if you're going to spend your day doing a session with Flostradamus, like that is your whole day. Yeah, you know, you, you can't just sort of like, like in Chicago, I feel like, I mean, most of us didn't even have studios back yeah, then, yeah. but you know, you would just go over to your friend's house, you work on something for an hour or two, yeah. you go get a hot dog, you know, whatever. Yeah, definitely. You, it's not like that here. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm liking it. It's, it's just a, it's a good change of pace, man. And it's like you were saying, like you meet up for these sessions. I feel like out here, there's just so many more people in the industry. And then for Chicago, for us, it might've been where we were at in our careers and things like that, but it was just, you only had a few people, a handful of people, you work with them and then you keep it moving. And out here, there's so many different types of people doing so many different types of music. Yeah. And so I can have a session with a person who does house music and I can vibe off of them and learn their process and, and make some cool different music. And then I can meet up with just a straight up songwriter and get inspired on how it is to actually write a song and like what goes on, goes behind the lyrics and the melodies and things like that. And I've just been learning so much more since I've been out here. It's almost like I'm back in school again, more than actually completing music. I'm just out here learning because there's just a diverse amount of musicians. It's crazy how you can just keep humbling yourself that way. Like I've experienced that so many times in my career and I'm sure I'll experience it a million more times where, you know, you achieve whatever the next rung on the ladder is, whatever that goal you were dreaming about years ago. And then you get there 
and you just look up at the next one yeah. and you realize that you know it's not even really a ladder it's more just like a big open space and there's a million people running around this metaphor is getting weird no but. i like it i like it no it's true I, I think anything in life you should i mean you can live life however you want but like what i like about life is you can learn you're constantly learning whether that's with yourself and self-development or even just like in our industries and things that we're doing like i i love things like youtube and and like itunes university and even podcasts because you can do these things you can you can constantly intake information and learn and grow as a person while you're like doing something else or while you i don't know you can just it, we're in such a great time to learn and educate ourselves and grow and i think that's such a good thing for for people right now i agree and especially for guys like you and me who didn't really have formal training for what we're doing now right mm -hmm. and so you know i mean we came up sort like i saw you learn you saw me learn yeah and I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. And no. in those days, there weren't even really like a lot of YouTube tutorials. Yeah, yeah. So we were just kind of making it up, yeah. right? And, and at the time, I remember personally, that felt really frustrating to me yeah. because I would hear all these things that I didn't know how to make. Yeah. And kind of, I didn't know who could even tell me how to do it. Yeah, that's true. But now I think maybe it's an advantage because of what you were just talking about that I still am kind of hungry to learn it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and as long as I don't get too much in my own head about it, yeah. you know, you can just kind of keep taking everything in. It's like making, it's like bringing yourself back to being that kid again, yeah. you know? And, and I think that now it's, it's true, like, I don't know, you're, like I still don't know what's going on. I still, I'll admit <laughs> that I don't know how to do half the things I do, but I, it, it's cool with technology and you can advance, you can do advanced things with technology. If you embrace technology, you can be so much more powerful. Like I, I think it was in the Elon Musk podcast with Joe Rogan, he was talking about how we're becoming more like an Android because we have like smartphones, because that thing, that, that piece of technology is combining with us. Like if you want to Google, if you want to know about like what movies Tom Hanks was in or whatever, you can find it out and then it instantly makes you that much smarter right. overall. Uh, so it's, I think that we can do that with music and with learning a lot of this stuff. Like, like you said, when you were trying to learn how to maybe compress or like do something like a, uh, learn like how to make a fidget house stuff or whatever, it was hard to do it back in the day. You could only learn from your friends and a little bit of things on the internet. And it was a lot of like past things that had happened, like old mixing engineers and a lot of old stuff. Yeah. But now you can use everyone. There's like a 12 year old kid who knows how to mix and engineer better than I would ever know how to do. And he puts up a tutorial and I learn from him and we can learn from each other and grow. And not only that, we can use technology to our advantage to make us better. Like I have a bunch of apps that help me do chord progressions and these things that I, I couldn't even do with my physical hands. Right. But I can use my taste making ability to like to choose chords and to do to use these tools to make it so I actually sound like a better musician. And right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because it's and this is not in any way shitting on classically trained musicians yeah. of whom I am very envious of. Same. But, yeah, yeah, same. same. <laughs> but I, I like what you're saying because there's something about the way that you and I and a lot of other people that we know like see music and, and there's something about it that clicks in our brains, mm -hmm. right? And because we're not, you know, classical pianists or whatever, it's it, it can be hard to translate that. But I think what you're saying is, you know, that technology can kind of bridge that gap, right? Yeah. And you can be sort of, 
it's almost like I always say this, like the best DJs are the best curators. Yeah. You know, and I think it's the same for production in a lot of ways is you can kind of have this vision in your head of what the final product should sound like. Yeah. And whatever ways you need to get there, yeah, you know, that's sort of just your secret sauce. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of people are ashamed of using those tools. Like me personally, I'm not. Like I've always tried to embrace technology and, and use it to my advantage. Like, and I think that if, if someone were to see me using these apps to like generate these chord progressions, I think that maybe there'd be a little bit of like a, I don't know, an interior like dissing or whatever yeah. that they would do. But to me it's it's almost like i'm collaborating with a computer to get my idea out whether i'm working with a songwriter here out here in la who knows how to play the same dope chords and i can hum the idea or think the idea with them they can it's just a human doing the same thing so why not collab with the computers and the technology to do to get my idea across the same way and so that's what i'm doing but i think that that's that's happened with everything even back in the day like using vinyl yeah I, uh when when serato came out it was like I, I remember I embraced it like early on. Actually, it was, uh, what was it? So before Tractor, there was Final Scratch. That's yep, what it was called. Yep, so yep. I ended up getting Final Scratch before even Serato. And it was like this little UFO disc thing. <laughs> and you had to patch it in and it barely worked. And it, the technology was so primitive. It like kind of worked back in the day. Yeah. And then things like Serato came out. And, we, and like we ended up using that and making things. Use, like you could your crate that you would have to carry out to a gig just became exponential and you could do so much more with it. And a lot of the old heads around me are like, oh, yo, that's, that's whack. That's whack. Right. And then come to find out X amount of years later, they're the ones using the same technology because they saw the potential of it. Exactly. And you know, some people came around faster. Some people came around slower, but it's the exact same thing of what you were just saying. Now, if somebody saw you using an app to work on a chord progression, yeah. I'm sure there would be people being like, oh, that's lame, yep. you know, whatever. But for you, while you were talking, you made me remember, I don't know why this always sticks in my head, but there was this one interview that you did years and years and years ago, and I randomly saw it somewhere, and they were asking, uh, this is when uh, you were still duo, and they were asking you and Josh something about, you know, how do you something something as professional musicians or something? And you almost like cut the guy off and you're like, yo, we're not musicians. Oh, we're hackers. Yeah, that's true. And like you, you were like so definitive about it. I remember just watching that and it just blew my mind. I like replayed it a bunch of oh, times. It got awesome. me so fired up because that's I, I think that's what you've always been on in a way is like always finding the new shit like to me that's what i think of when i think of you is like that excitement of discovery of always you know the the cutting edge of what's coming next even like with final scratch maybe it doesn't even work that good at yeah. first but for you it's kind of that process of of always pushing it always being on the edge it seems like i mean would you agree that that's part of what sort of keeps you yeah. here keeps you doing what you're doing uh, one thousand percent like i'll, I'll I'll spend more time on trying to find shortcuts on how to make music than actually learning how to do music, like, which is probably so backwards. I probably, if I spent that amount of time, like learning chord progressions and stuff, I could probably do so much different things. Yeah. But I, I love that. I love that discovering these apps and these different things that can make it so I can cheat code my way through my music process. 
And I'm constantly trying to either develop them with, with companies or finding companies that have like a primitive version and working with them and how they can make it better and into my working process. And I, yeah, I just, I've always loved that. Like I honestly, like I'll spend most of the time when I'm home off the road digging for music and trying to find like a next sound because I get so like bored with what's happening right now. Like I'm, I, I just like get, when I get comfortable, I get uncomfortable. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's how it is. Like I'm constantly digging for new music, different sounds. Same with these apps. I'm trying to find new ways to do like next level things. And I, that's honestly where I spend most of my time is because whenever I find that, it just feels so good. Yeah, it's such a cool yeah, thing. yeah. And then and one other thing too, I, then I like to put people up on it. Then I'll show you. I'm like, yo, Willie, check out this new thing. This will help your working process because all together we can create like if I can show you my tools, you can create something even more exponential from there, and we all help each other uh, each other out. Exactly, and especially when it's you know new technology, something fresh. Mm -hmm. Then everybody, there's no rules yet, right? So yep. everybody starts using it in a different way. You start innovating, like you know, it becomes this new knowledge base. It's like what we were saying earlier when we started like DJing. There was no roadmap for any of it, right? right? And right. when we started producing, there was no roadmap for any of it. So we all had these crazy different methods and yeah. we could kind of share those tips and tricks. I mean, what do you remember about, uh, you know, pre Serato days when, cause you and I, like we're old heads in the game at, at this point, you know, what do you remember about the, just the vinyl days? It, uh, my back remembers it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm definitely, it was just like, it was wild, man. So like, if you wanted to play a certain song, sometimes you had to go and buy the full album and you had to like, I remember I always wanted to play like Spodioti Dopalicious from Outkast. Right. And I couldn't find the vinyl at, at the local record store for the single. Right. So like I had to carry around the 12 inch, like, the full on album and it was two vinyl. And so there's that. And then on top of that, I had to do that for you know, the rest of the 50 other songs. And so, and then when you're at a gig, you know, it's even, not only do you have to physically take the record, put it on blah, 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 but then there's six different tracks on the record. If you've got the album version, exactly. Right? And you might've grabbed the wrong vinyl. Like I, I wish I could go back and like, listen or like watch myself DJ from them because now the rate that I load songs up is so fast. And like, and I'm playing like seconds of each song, like so quick that like back then it must have been an eternity yeah like, right because you had to find the song find the like it was probably by the, by the third verse by the time yeah. i could even like <laughs> like mix the next song do you think people do you think that changed the club i mean obviously it changed the club experience but i'm thinking in terms of like going to a club and hearing a song like there probably were years of my life where I did know the third verses of yeah. songs just because that's how you had to play them in the yeah. club. I love that the era of hip hop, they would call out the verse three. They'd be like, yo, verse three and like actually say like the, the, the number of verses. Yeah. It was had. like a, it was like a flex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now, I mean, you can't even get to verse three. You can't even get like, sometimes like I mean, I'll there even, is no verse three. Anymore. I wouldn't even play verse one. Sometimes if I'll play like hook after hook, sometimes it's just, well, it's I mean, just, we're at 2018 is the year of a two minute song. Yeah, exactly. Like, man. Two minute 30 song is long. Yeah, man. I mean, every low pump song is just a big hook and like, it's so quick. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But uh, another thing that I liked about vinyl, which I, I, I'm missing out on, and it's just like, it's, it's such a great thing about it is you can go digging and finding music that like no one's ever heard. And that's the, the benefit of like vinyl and all of that, like, which I I've lost the art of, like, I, I barely go digging for records anymore. Like I just don't have the time, but I would love that. I would, a couple of things. 
so like back in the day i used to go i was broke like super broke and chicago uh gramophone records shout out gramophone they had this area called the cutout bin and i always wanted to play hip-hop and so underneath the table so there'd be a bunch of the hip-hop up top yeah. and the records were like for me it was expensive but like six dollars at the time or whatever and i was like i can't do this and then underneath the table is the cutout bin and that's how i found out about like slip and slide about like crunk music about lil john yeah. like all these dudes like tvt records they would have all the lil john records all the crunk records underneath for 99 cents and so like it was the craziest thing i would like dig under there and find all this dope music and it had the dopest instrumentals like all this southern trap music and this was like early early trap before it was trap it was crunk yeah and like the music was so dope to me and the cool thing was that i could mix it with i would go over to the house section and grab some house music records and then that's like double time of this crunk and then i'd be mixing like cashmere's percolator with like Lil john like whatever snap your fingers type song yeah and it was just such a cool way the halftime of the crunk and the sounds were like both synthetic and it would it just worked and this was happening in an era of like atmosphere and like backpack rap where like if i even put a Lil john record on it was like taboo yeah exactly but it was like such a cool thing to hear that contrast and how much they're very similar and they're both it's like it's both urban music cashmere's percolators urban music and like Lil john like crunk music is like urban music and it just worked and it was such a vibe together yeah man it's those connections are so interesting because and all of that music was probably made by similar means too mm -hmm. right like it's somebody sitting in front of a computer or sitting in front of some gear yep. you know in whatever neighborhood they're from whatever part of the country but it's it's all the same process yeah i wonder too you just made me think about you know you saying the the cheap records were the ones you bought because that's what you could afford and that ended up influencing your sound yeah i wonder if and I'm not quali I'm not a historian, so I'm not qualified to actually speak on this. But <laughs> I, I'm wondering if like that was like a marketing technique. Like I wonder Ooh. if they priced their records lower so people would buy them more. Maybe. Or if it was like you know another purist thing where uh, they, those kind of records were looked down on, right? Yeah. And so all of those records got shoved off to the side until somebody like you or me came and found it and could kind of flip it into this whole other thing, which is really interesting because, uh, you know, we've been talking about like people hating on you at different points for, you know, doing something the wrong way, yeah. quote unquote, or, or not the traditional way, even like with the backpack rap and then you play the crunk stuff instead. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that, if it was really that attitude that like spurred the next generation of artists making the music that was being hated on yeah. or us playing it and kind of being looked down on. Like, I never really thought about that, but maybe maybe I did have some attitude about that. Yeah, I think I think it's just natural for humans to to be afraid of change. I think it's just that's even what it is. Even even me, sometimes I'll get that way with certain things. And but I don't uh, that's always what changes anything in culture. And if you want to change things in culture, you got to get the pushback. And like anything anyone has done, it always gets pushed back, gets hated on, and then all of a sudden it gets accepted by the masses. There, there's a curve, like a what's the what's the name of the guy's curve? I don't know. You can yeah, find yeah, it yeah. on the internet. But there's like a like a curve, like a, a curve of early adopters, laggards, and all of that. And most human beings are later on the curve. Like a huge majority, a huge percentage of humans are later in this curve. And then there's certain people that like to adopt things early on. 
And those are the people that are always pushing things, but they're also getting the blowback and the pushback. But that's the stuff that's always changing what culture is. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's Oh, yeah, I think yeah. it's absolutely necessary. And you see what happens to the, you know, the purists and the haters, quote unquote, for lack of a better word. Like the, uh, there's a moment and you, we've seen it, both of us happen to so many people where at a certain point, an artist will just hit a limit of frustration about whatever it is, you know, changing times that they're maybe they're not into the new thing. Maybe they feel like they can't keep up. Maybe it's competitive, whatever it is. But, the, you know, some people kind of mentally jump the shark at a yeah. certain point mm -hmm. and get bitter and just start sort of saying that everything after this point is bad, yeah, you know, exactly, and yeah. it was only good up to this point. Yeah. And I mean, hi history shows us what happens to those people, right? It's yeah, exactly. Like I, I, and I relate to those feelings. We've all been there mentally at a certain point about one thing or another, but we, you have to keep making yourself uncomfortable, like you exactly, said earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, cause we're still here. We're still doing this. Yeah. And, and you and I both know, like our careers have had ups and downs oh, yeah. and crazy tangents and side turns. Yeah. But if we hadn't kept jumping back into the, the game, like back into the race, yeah. you know, we'd just be halfway back on the sidelines somewhere. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that as an artist, even like a tip to anyone who's out there, like, I, when when Josh and I first started doing EDM trap like that our, incar our incarnation of it at the time it was the first wave of dubstep and it got to the point of what they call bro step and it just got so hard and it didn't fit for me as like a 30 year old dude or whatever at the time or like 20 something year old dude I just couldn't vibe with it and in my mind I was doing that hater stuff at first with it I was like this isn't I can't vibe with this I can't I don't understand it right and on some crazy shit when I heard Skrillex's scary monsters and nice sprites the first time I was like what is going on it blew my mind and the funny thing is that that song sounds soft in comparison to music <laughs> yeah, now right, which is yeah. so weird yeah, and yeah. I and I really love that song now but like when I first heard it it was so different and, and I couldn't embrace it but for me i could have said yo like fuck this shit fuck dubstep i'm done with the game but what i did is just like i'm gonna not do dubstep because i can't vibe with it right now at this time and i'm gonna try to do something different and like let me like fuck around and put some like trap drums over some like big room house and then that's kind of how like the edm trap stuff started it was like i'm not going to do the crazy growls and stuff things that i didn't even know how to make and even right. that stuff at the time there wasn't that many tutorial videos so i didn't know how to do a lot of the dubstep sounds so i was like let me just take the tools that i know and kind of like create this lane so i don't have to do what everyone in the game is doing i can do what i want to do and i think is any artist out there like watching this and listening is like just you don't have to do what's popping right now if you don't vibe with it don't do it yeah. try to try to take a note from it and then carve your own lane out of what what you don't like and do like about it and that's kind of what we did two things about what you just said is that uh, first of all, I don't think you should ever go into it thinking I'm going to do what's popping right now. Yeah, like exactly. I think it's that's too late already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like if that's your mindset, you already lost yeah, the game. Because, exactly. you know, if something's already popping, that already means that somebody has gotten successful doing it. Yes. And they're the one that is associated with whatever that is. Yeah. So it's, you know. Maybe you could get in, kind of ride the wake behind them, yeah. but it's, you know, it's a losing game. Yeah. And the, the second thing I wanted to talk about is that what I loved about, I loved a lot about those early trap years and, and that explosion that you guys started. But what I love the most about what you and Josh did 
when the whole EDM trap thing started is that because I knew you guys for years and we came up together, shared a lot of experiences, you were just doing what you had always been doing, right? Yeah. Like it, it was revolutionary to combine the sounds that you did in the way that you did it. But it, for me, looking deeper into it, you know, you guys had already been putting sounds together. You were just talking about going to the record store yeah. vinyl days yeah. and, you know, finding these two things and putting them together and seeing what happened. And so to me, it was just, you know, somehow maybe you'd had enough experience at that point to kind of execute it better or maybe it was just right time, right place. Like, do you think about that in terms of like how that moment happened? I, I think we just actually had time. Like it, it was weird because like, like you said, we were DJ, we were, Josh and I were DJing for like, for almost like five plus years touring DJing. Like we did a couple of mixtapes and we had a party that got popular and we were able to tour around on that, like through, do the equivalent party in other cities. So we were able to do these shows everywhere and we were like on the road constantly. And it just got to the point where we got burnt out and our sound, everything just kind of got burnt out and, and dubstep was popping off and the stuff we were doing like party rocking DJs wasn't popping anymore. And so less people came to the parties. We've been, we've played Denver X amount of times. Like we've done it so much that like, it just didn't have that buzz anymore. Right. We didn't have music to support who we were as artists. We were just these DJs that were doing this party rocking stuff. And so we fell off and then like 2000, like end of 2009, all of 2010, it was just like no shows for us. So we had nothing but time. And so we both like honed our production skills and we started to like learn more about engineering and learn more about just like, I don't know, just how to, how to make music. And the stuff that we knew how to do from the early days was mashups and edits and things like that. So that's kind of what we were doing. We were taking the sounds that we would DJ, whether that it be house music or big room house or anything, and then like Waka Flocka and Inspirations of Lex Luger and, and even the drum kits that were out there, the free drum kits, right. like the Lex Luger drum kits, just putting those sounds over the top of house music and things like that, but taking out the house drums or even just filtering it out, like some hard style, just filtering out the hard style yeah, drums yeah, yeah. and the synths are just so next level and crazy. And we were just kind of experimenting and that's what happened. We started putting those up on SoundCloud and it started to create a whole new sound, but that was us just making like these edits and these like things like that. And so it wasn't even like a, we're gonna try to do something. It was like, it was just a process of like, we got to show showcase our process. And luckily we had a little bit of a fan base beforehand right. that I think helped when we did put the music out, get it to that extra point. Like if we didn't have Floss 1.0, the 2.0 stuff wouldn't have probably not been as popping. Sure. And so- And, and we, you wouldn't have known how to capitalize on it, Exactly, right? and that was the other thing that I was gonna get to is like once, because we had fallen off so hard in like the, in 2010 era, like we knew what it was like to lose this. Like we lost it, it was done. And we were like considering going and working at like jobs and stuff, like actual jobs. Yeah. And then when we actually had a shot, it was like, hey, the door opened again a little bit and him and I just like went in and we like, we got sober and we just like grinded so hard for like two years. We built up a crazy fan base. We built up a scene, we, like we started designing clothes and we just like capitalized. Anything we we knew that we ruined or, or didn't do right and floss yeah. 1.0 floss 2.0 we took and just like ran with it and one, one thing that stood out to me in those first couple of years was how detail oriented you got about everything <laughs> yeah like from everything like i remember i and, and i'm sure you remember this too one south by southwest down in austin it was like it was basically the 
floss 2.0 coming out party i think it was like the first time you guys had played after the music had started to blow up yeah so you know it's some little bar probably like 100 capacity spot and you guys were there i think you didn't even really know how to do the show yet like i i remember you had like a bunch of controllers yeah and the other thing that i remember was that the room was packed it was and it was split 50 50 it was like a weird club where you were kind of in the middle oh, and cool. uh so like there were like 50 people just in the crowd and then there were like 50 djs behind you <laughs> just like i remember it was like me like smash next to diplo like it was just like shoulder to shoulder yeah. but everybody from that scene in that era was in that room at least that's what it felt like yeah for that performance like, do you remember the night I'm actually talking about? Not or am I making this up? No, you're not. And, and and I do remember a lot of that, like, especially the early incarnation of Floss 2.0. It was, I never felt so good during that. That's like my Uncle Rico time. Like the like- There was like an energy about it. Yeah, that, that was, it just, yeah, it was this, I think that like you said, a lot of the DJs were in that room and then there was a lot of the, the crowd there, but the, all the DJs in that room, I think had the same mindset or the feeling that maybe Josh and I had of like, we can't ride with this bro step EDM dubstep stuff right now. Like they're all ex hip hop heads or used to play hip hop and mashup dudes. And I think that this was like the first time that this was a music that they could actually latch on to mm. and feel comfortable with there was that and there was just this energy like everything that that we did in floss 2.0 was just natural it just felt so natural like nothing was forced like everything was just like a, such a vibe it like what we did as flostradamus when we came back up it was bigger than just one song or yeah. one thing that we had it was like it was me working my ass off josh working his ass off and we like built this entire movement and it was just natural it wasn't like forced we weren't trying to do what other people were doing because there was nothing ahead of us to do we right. had to define our path right there was and, no roadmap. yeah there was and that was so cool man and, and even social media was like not really as crazy as it is now yeah right? everything's a cookie cutter now with so much and that's kind of hindering about technology and the internet and stuff like there is as much as I like to embrace it all, there's now all these formulas. Oh, you need to, if you're an EDM artist, if you're an artist right now, you need to have a fan base and your fan base is called whatever you want to call it. Hashtag whatever. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag whatever it is. And then they need to have a look and they need to wear the the clothes and all of this stuff. And the stuff that we were doing when we had Hoodie Nation and we had like all of this, like yeah. we had ha all the little hashtag plurents and all these, these are just words that we made up and these are things that we were just doing naturally. And now everyone is doing it because they have to. It's like a thing you need to do and you need to like follow this formula. Which and, is kind of fake though, right? Exactly, Be Because it, you know, you're saying it's like you need to, but I think what it really is, is like you feel pressure that you need to, yeah, right? Yeah, man, it's it's weird. And and for me, because I Because what you really, yeah, not, no, to, no, cut, go ahead, not go ahead. to cut you off, but yeah. like, because what you really need to do for like a new artist is throw all that shit away yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That's how, you know, that's what excites me about a new artist yeah. is seeing that they're not doing that, that they're doing something different from what everybody else is, Ex that, which sounds obvious to say, but that is the hardest thing I think to understand as a new artist. Yeah. As even a person too to do like yeah, not true. what the masses are doing. It's so hard to. It's what you were saying earlier. Like you know, people don't like change. The early adopters are few and far between. Yeah, it's weird, and, and to to just speak on the social media thing, like it got to a point. Yeah, it was all natural. Like anything that we posted, anything we talked about, our fan base, things like that. It was just so natural, 
and now since everyone is doing the cookie cutter formula like it's weird like i'm sure people watching this will see that like i'm not like super interactive on my social media as much as i was before because i just can't vibe with it as much because everyone's doing the same thing and it gets me back to that same thing that i felt like when everyone was doing dubstep and things like that like i just feel uncomfortable like i try to play the game here and there but it just doesn't feel natural and like i might be losing followers and things like that because i'm not playing the game but like for me i'm actually more at peace than i've ever been right now yeah like kind of avoiding social media it's it's a very toxic place right now and it's like and i'm just like kind of like keeping one foot in one foot out with it right now and i don't know what to do and i don't know what is next but just for my comfort i need to like kind of like distance myself from it at the moment well of course and what that makes me think of is what you just said about uh when you and josh had that time off right and yeah. and you kind of like hit a bottom and you took a step back that's when this huge thing happened like that's when you know you left space for the next part of your life to yeah. come along right yeah. like i think stepping out of the rat race like once you realize that it is a rat race and that everybody's just kind of like in line behind <laughs> each other yeah. like it, it's a it's almost like seeing through the matrix in a weird way yeah. like because once you can and this is a very hard thing to do and it's something that's way easier for me to say than for me to actually do but if you can mentally take yourself out of it and let yourself feel uncomfortable and let yeah. yourself feel like you're fucking up and yeah. like that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing yeah. if you're if you're able to sit in those feelings and just let them happen and then see what happens after that to me that's you know when the real creativity and just when the real exciting shit can happen definitely man and this is a weird association of the two but you and i are both midwest dudes and we both you probably more than me but we both like have grown up where we have eight months of depressing winter <laughs> yeah and and there's something about like i think that's why a lot of people in chicago are nice like yeah they call it Chirac, and there's a lot of like like bad things that are happening there but there's also a lot of like like i don't know camaraderie with each other and there's a lot of respect and i think to take away what i'm saying is like we live through every year we go through eight plus months of like depressing winter and there's a beautiful moment the snow falls it's nice and then it just gets gloomy and depressing but i think because we do that every year it reminds us like when summer comes it just feels so good and it's so beneficial and i think that we have it in it's like muscle memory in us midwesters that it's like you go through the hard times and then out of the hard times come the good and i think that that's like a thing in with anything in life like i've every time i'm like i've even just recently went through a huge hard time and like i know that there's going to be nothing but good things coming from that and i think that with social media and things like that it always it just puts out this forward facing everything's good everything's good everything's good but in real life there's not always good it's always ups and downs and yeah. if you go through the the downs you're gonna you're gonna enjoy the ups and the ups are gonna be even more like lucrative prof whatever all of the buzzwords are yeah, gonna be yeah. so much better whatever and you want it to be even if it's even if it isn't uh like success and stuff like that me personally going through the downs i've been able to enjoy the ups even if it's a little bit of an up even if right. it's like i play t I, i'm playing to a room of five people and then all of a sudden i'm playing to a room to a hundred people those hundred people just feel so good and that that struggle that i had to go through to get the hundred fans again like it, i appreciate it so much more and that's what brings people together too right yeah. is if you go through those hard times with people you know to, to go back to your like winter analogy like I, I think about the early Chicago days with you know you and me and kid sister and yeah. the cool kids 
and a million other people I'm forgetting to name, but you know, that felt like a family, you yeah. know, like that felt like we were all kind of held together by something that I didn't understand at the time. But I think you're right that like the weather was a part of it. Yeah. And you know, you think about out here, there is every DJ in the world is living in LA right now, but yeah. it doesn't feel like a family. Yeah, it's weird. You know? Yeah. And, and I think there's something to that, that because we kind of shared that experience in those formative years. Yeah. I mean, and I wanted to go back and talk about those, those early parties too, yeah. because I think that's where the spirit of everything that even what you're doing now, like that's where it all started. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I talked earlier that you were detail oriented about what you're doing. And I think, to me, you've always been that way a little bit. Like, I remember, um, you know, the early parties were the get-out-of-the-hood parties. Yeah. And even when they were in some tiny bar with, you know, whatever, 75 people or whatever it was, they were always, you guys always had these little touches, right? <laughs> and, and to me, it was, like, always, like, I can look back on it, and it was always predicting what was going to come later on. Like, I remember one party that either I opened for, or maybe I just went to the party, I don't remember, but you guys had, uh, you built like a UFO. Oh yeah. That, <laughs> that like was suspended above the DJ booth in some super dangerous oh, lawsuit goodness, yes. situation. Yeah. And, and even that to me, and I want you to talk about that in a sec, but I, all I wanted to say is that that to me, was like even back in those days, like, that was the early stage production that now everybody yeah. has, right? Yeah. And I think that was something special about what you guys were doing that maybe not everybody else was doing, was there are these little details, these little touches, just something to to bring it to the next level. And I, I don't know, was that a conscious thing? Like, how did that happen for you guys? It's, it's a, again, it goes back to just like, people being creative or whatever, like if something is happening, just tweak it a little bit. And so those parties you were talking about, so like normally people would do DJ parties and they would they would rent a venue and be on the stage. And so what we did is instead of being on the stage, let's just set it up in the middle of the dance floor. Let's be right in the middle. So we set it up in the middle of this venue and everyone was around us and that just had an energy. And then we were we teamed up uh, with our like my super good friends, these dudes called Thunder Horse. Shout and, out to Thunder Horse. Yeah, shout out them and Alex and Taryn and Jude. Uh, they those guys would it, again, it was just back to us just being fun, creative, like kids together in Chicago. Like we would just all get together and think of ideas, like just weird, ridiculous ideas. Like how can we make this stage setup crazy? And we would, back in the day, we would get sponsorships from like Pabst Blue Ribbon or like Sparks or like all these, yeah. all these random companies uh, would give, would sponsor these parties and they'd give you like whatever, like under a thousand dollars or whatever. So we would have to find a way to like use that budget and do something creative with it before they would give anyone a budget and they wouldn't do it. They do some whack idea, but we're like, let's do some next level stuff. So we would do that. That's why we would build the UFO or we built for the Christmas party. We had a giant Santa who just spit snow out on the crowd. <laughs> uh, we would just like, it would just be fun. How can we use this budget and, and create this environment? Uh, but yeah, just like it's it's just all about just tweaking things a little bit and that's all that we would do. And then like you said, it's kind of what evolved into like the new floss shows, like our stage design and all uh, all the new floss stuff, floss 2.0, 3.0, we would always try to just do next level things. So when we first came back on the scene as floss 2.0, 
everyone had the big LED screens. Everyone had like crazy light shows and lasers. And we're like, let's just remove all of that. So we would come on stage, the screen would turn off and we would just have two black lights facing us and then strobe lights behind us. That period of shows, man, those were some of the most intense shows. It was crazy. Like I, I hacked my mixer because like at the time, Josh and I were using two Ableton controllers and a, a 900 mixer. And the crossfader wasn't being used because we were just using the volume faders. So I rigged up this USB thing that the crossfader was actually controlling the like strobe light intensity. So while one of us was mixing music, the other one was doing strobe lights behind us. And then I had another controller on the DJM mixer that was doing black lights on us. And we wore these all black hoodies that had printed on warning signs on the hoodie that were like, I had them, I had them made. They were just like warning signs that you couldn't see in the normal light, but when a black light hit it, it illuminated. And so it almost looked like our hoodies were like, our, were a LED almost. Right. And that was the thing is just taking these little ideas with a little bit of a budget, you can do so much. Like don't do what everyone's doing. Like if there's all these people playing video clips and stuff, try to do something different and you don't have to spend a lot of money to stand out from the crowd. Yeah, that's true, man. And it, it's so funny because like those shows were low budget, right? Because yeah. you were still starting off, yeah. but those became the iconic kind of events that I think helped grow your fan base so fast. I, I think so too, man. I think a lot of people think it was just like one song or one thing that defined what Flosterdamus was, but we were doing so many cool creative little things that it is more than that. And it was such a bigger thing than that. Like you can't just claim one thing as what Flosterdamus was, Hoodie Nation was. It was like a, this huge amount of ideas of just trying to do different things, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I think it's, uh, how do I want to say this? Like I, I, I think it, it's not just about making the hit song or about finding the new okay. genre, right? Because you can see plenty of you know producers every single year will have like the one hit song or maybe a string of big songs in a year but to really build it into a community like you guys did yeah. and like you still continue to do yeah, yeah. like you know we haven't even gotten to floss 3.0 yeah, yeah. but uh it, it's something else man and talk a little bit about that community aspect of it too because i think your fan base is different than a lot of DJ's fan base. No, it's it is, and it's actually kind of awesome. Since I moved out to LA, I'm like, I, I in New York, I maybe saw like two people that were actually fans, like actually in public. But out here, something about Cali, I don't know, like the the Hoodie Nation fan base is huge out here, and I see so many different types of people. But it's the coolest types of people, man. It's like. I don't know. It isn't like people that I would not expect to be EDM fans at all. Like I just bought my first car cause I live out here and like the people that were selling my car were like hoodie nation fan oh, base people. Dope. And then I went out to eat the other day and it's like every different type of people. It's like Mexican kids, Asian kids, white kids, black kids. It's like all these different types of people that are fans of this movement that, that is this hoodie nation. And it's, it's such a cool thing to see that it is like all walks of life. Like it isn't just like an EDM dubstep yeah. type cliche person or, or that there are all these different people. And I think a fan that would go see Flostradamus would go see Tiesto or would go see Waka Flocka or go see like these other genres of, of yeah. acts. Well, maybe, maybe this is a reach, but to take it back to something we were talking about at the very beginning of this, where you were talking about, you know, the the house music records and the crunk records all coming from different places but ending up you know in the same format in the same dj set that you were playing 
I, I think that's what you've been able to do with the people who listen to your music too, right? Yeah, it could it, be. It's like varied backgrounds, varied yeah. geographic locations, all that, but somehow it's more about the attitude and the mentality, right? I think so. And even the the early first two or three shows of, of ours in Chicago, like that you had mentioned, it was called Get Out of the Hood. It was the reason why we called it Get Out of the Hood because it was in Boys Town, which is the, the gay neighborhood in Chicago. And it was a Grateful Dead bar in the middle of Boys Town. And the type of people that would show up there was seriously all of Chicago. It was like hipster kids to street people to like everybody in between. And once you were in that roof, like nothing mattered. Yeah. All lines of social class, race, whatever you are, didn't matter. There. And Chicago is such a segregated city. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and especially this, in that day. Chicago, Chicago, they created a term called hyper segregation that's only because of Chicago. It's like, like there's these neighborhoods of borders of people. And, but yeah, back then it was just like, everyone was open-minded and we brought those people together. And I think that that's what a fan of Hoodie Nation is and a fan of Flusterdamus is. It isn't just one specific lane. It's it's someone who's into everything. And you're open-minded to different types of people. Like you might be like, you you might have a friend who supports a different political view, but it doesn't matter. They're still your friend. And that's right. that's that's how I carry myself no matter what. Like you can live your life the way you want as long as it's not like hurting me and I don't mind, I'm down to help help you choose your path in life. And I think that that's like anyone with Hoodie Nation, like my, our logo is just like a warning sign and that's all it is. If you're part of Hoodie Nation, it's just a warning sign. And I've heard so many stories of someone wearing that at a festival and then someone else walks up to them and they become friends now. And they like, now they're like going to festivals together and they're doing things together. And it's all because of just this one thing that like the music, the movement, everything brings everyone together. So. Yeah. Well, and let's talk for a minute about another way that I think you were able to kind of bring people together, which is right around, you know, that that trap explosion, those first couple of years where you guys really like reinvigorated everything. It's going crazy. You're touring all around. You were also, I, I think, some of the first people to go to Atlanta, right? Like yeah. from the electronic music community going to the studios in Atlanta, meeting like the current crop of the rappers there, like the bubbling, the underground shit. Yeah. And talk about that a little bit, both in terms of, you know, what did how did that change your view and what you were doing at the time? And how did you kind of make those connections with the rap community there, the rappers, the producers, all of that, so that they could kind of understand what you were doing and bring them into your world? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, just to be honest, like, we, we kind of just had, like, a hood pass. Like, like mainly my boy DJ Spins, like, he was, like, number one and like, FKI. Like, those, those dudes kind of brought us into the fold. Like, we, we had met... Like I was really into DJ Spins as like an artist. Like he he runs like Hood Rich Radio, and he's like was part of Hood Rich uh, Records and stuff. So he had he just was always making the illest mixtapes at the time. So when we first did a tour, we wanted to bring him out, and so we reached out, and he came on tour with us, and we became like super close friends. Like I, we still stay in touch. He's a homie, but he I think because we were just boys, he just like kind of put us in touch with everyone in Atlanta. And so once we started to like talk to them and we talked to like FKI first and like they would always put us up on who's next. I remember Spins initially was like, yo, you got to check out this dude Casino. And Casino had this song called Diamonds Dripping Wet back in the day. I remember that song. And it's just, the, it was so ridiculous. And to me, I was like, this is crazy. And so when 
we came to Atlanta, I was like, I gotta work with Casino. That was like a hundred percent. Like I, I just like I made sure that like we set that up through spins, and he got the he made the connection happen. Casino comes out to the studio, and and then I had to show him like videos of like our shows just to kind of get an idea of what the energy is. And he at first he was probably just like, who are these dudes? Like these <laughs> random like nerdy dudes. And but like he liked the beats. He was like, man, these beats are hard. And so he would like kind of get on it like. We did a couple of songs and then the beat for mosh pit he like by then he kind of got the vibe and we showed him videos of what a mosh pit is even on the song he calls it a marsh pit on our song because he didn't know what <laughs> it was I still love yeah, yeah yeah if you listen to the acapella he says marsh pit <laughs> but uh he he still had no idea what it was but he caught the vibe he caught the energy and like him and i were working on the lyrics and i was like no like you got to say it like this and like you got to like turn up turn up and like so he would get like the first take of that it was kind of bland and then he started to turn up and he got the vibe going and so that's what, that's what it was. We like kind of went to Atlanta through like connects through our homies. And from there, we kind of like showed those dudes in Atlanta, these street dudes, like the kind of the vibe that we're on. And the music had such a high energy to it. There was like nothing but to turn up on it. And, yeah. and same with like Travis Porter and those dudes, like those dudes are probably some of the most talented musicians in the game. I swear, like Travis Porter have made so many dope hits and they're like this like crazy, like trap boy band. But those dudes, like, we played them a bunch of our beats and they just rapped over, like, all these crazy songs. Like, I have songs that we haven't even released from them. And everything they did was a smash. And it's just, there's something about Atlanta, man, especially in that era, was, like, crazy. Like, a lot of the Atlanta dudes live out here in Cali now. But, like, in that era, there was just, like, so much just, like, natural swag like that post gucci main like right. young thug era when we were in there like it was it was so cool to be different and, and it was sort of before that sound had blown up to yeah. the point it is now right yeah, like it was just starting to bubble yeah. which makes sense why you know you would be attracted to it at that time if yeah. you're always like trying to find that energy yeah. but i think that's part of it too right is that like they didn't know where it was going yet either yeah exactly yeah so it, like you could come in and kind of you know like just combine your energies your vibes without yeah. an expectation of like oh this has to be a radio smash or yeah, something exactly. you know? even for i think yeah even for those artists and stuff like that none of that was on their mind i think everyone was just creating and and i think that that's still there in atlanta i still feel like it's in the game a little bit but i feel like there's it's just there's a lot of other things now that are like kind of hindering people from being fully creative. I think that they like, it's like the branding and then there's all these like Spotify playlists. There's all these things that are kind of hindering artists right now. It feels like. Yeah. I mean, I think you can draw parallels to what's happening in the DJ world too, right? Yeah. It's what we were just saying before is that once people start trying to copy this roadmap or, you know, watch how somebody else got to where they are, which is easy to do when things blow up. You know, I mean, Atlanta yeah. music is pop music now. Yeah, of course. And DJing is bigger than it's ever been. So, of course, you know, you have these big examples of these successful people, but it, that's never where the, the real innovation happens, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, look at, like, what Gucci Mane was doing. And, like, like they didn't, there was no roadmap. They were just doing them. And, and, and that shit was so weird at the time. Yeah, exactly. Like, every, it was what you said before when you first heard Skrillex. Like, I remember when I first heard Gucci Mane. And especially, uh, I, did a, I did a remix for Gucci on that first, like, Diplo mixtape yeah. where he had, like, all these different artists. It was me and Benzie did a remix for Gucci. And was, so we got the acapella. And, like, the acapella of him and that was like peak gucci man yeah, yeah. you know years i was like i don't even understand 
not only do I not know what the fuck he's talking about, but like I can't even find the rhythm of what he's yeah, doing. Yeah. Like it, it threw me off in such a crazy way. I'll never forget it. And then we ended up, you know, making a remix and like putting a bunch of, you know, stabs from like UK, like garage breakbeat oh, cool, stuff. Yeah. And sort of like what you were talking about earlier made this new thing. And it was just so rewarding at that time, right? Because there was just, you know, we didn't have any expectations for it. Yeah. The same way I assume you didn't at the time. The yeah. same way you were saying the, the rappers at the time. Like, yeah. they were just doing what they thought was dope. Yeah, of course. And I, I think that's every genre right now, or in general. Any new genre that comes out, it's just, like, people just doing what they love. Like, and... And even with like like Lil Peep and stuff like that, he was like yeah. he did some really cool next level things like combining like more of like a emo pop punk kind of vocal style over trap beats and stuff like that. It's just like a that's what it is. It's just tweaking things a little bit and and making it your own lane. And yeah, that's a great way to think about it too, because I think when you tell somebody don't do what's popular, do something different. That's hard to comprehend. Yeah, because I don't know what to do. Right, yeah. but I what you said about just tweaking it a little bit, that really is all it takes a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, that's all it is. And again, you can't force that. Like you can't be like, okay, I need to tweak it a little <laughs> right. bit. Just vibe and see what see what you like and combine the combine those together. How are you how are you doing it right now? Like what you know, as far as Floss 3.0, right? You know, now Flostradamus is a solo act. You've yeah. been you've been a solo act for a year plus at this point. Um, you know, what's what's changed for you in that year? How have you how have you found, you know, taking it to a solo project and kind of in that same spirit of everything we've been talking about, like what's exciting to you right now? Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of going back to like the original trap vibes again. Like I think it, it it feels a lot like it did back when we started this trap right now, currently in EDM and in bass music. It's like very dubstep heavy. It's super hard. And again, I'm finding myself like it was when I heard that Skrillex song, not really vibing with a lot of the stuff right now. Like there's a, every now and again, there'll be like one rhythm song that I like or one big dubstep song that I'll like that'll cross, cross over into my lane. But like, there's a lot of it is just so hard and the rhythm is so crazy and even in in trap and edm trap a lot of the dudes the rhythm is just so crazy and i think it's like these young producer kids are full-on producers they don't know what it works like in a dance floor right and so they make the cool crazy next level sounds which i'm into i'm like whoa this is crazy but i'm trying to find the beat with a head nod and i just don't i feel like those songs are dope on creative side but they won't work in like the crowd setting or like it, that. it's crazy you said last night i tweeted um that dance music has kind of forgot about the dance part yeah and and i got a bunch of people tweeting back i didn't really phrase it well but i got a bunch of people tweeting back at me being like you know yeah fuck dubstep or something and i was like <laughs> yeah. no man like dubstep is dope and yeah. i want to make sure that we put that out there because yeah. i feel like people could think we're hating on it like no, no. all that kind of stuff rhythm dubstep like i fuck with all of that yeah. heavy but it's it's exactly what you were saying earlier about curating it and fitting it into your vibe exactly right yeah. Yeah. and the same thing for me when i said like they forgot about the dance part it's it's really just for me like i need something that I know is going to work in my own DJ set, yeah, exactly. which is going to be my vibe, which is basically something, you know, I can move with something that, and it, there's a history to it too, right? Yeah. Like we've been party rockers for, you know, goddamn 20 years. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> Old man status. You guys can't but, see the hairline. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely going back. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, man, what are you working on right now? Yeah, I'm just making like a lot of like kind of the, like I said, more of like a just trap sound, like bringing it back to the roots of the EDM trap stuff and even just doing a lot of like vocal chops and doing things like how it was when we first started coming out and like trying to step away from, again, the high, hard, for all the nerds out there, like serum sounds, like the the like the sounds that are making dubstep in this hybrid trap dubstep, right. like super abrasive metallic sounds. I'm trying to just go back to chopping up samples and doing things that I did to explore when I was making trap originally. And right. that's what I've been doing lately is just like really going through all of my sample libraries I've collected over the past 20 years and just finding really cool sounds and manipulating those in a way. And that's kind of where I'm just exploring with it. And like, I'm also just like, that that's for like the floss sound but i'm also like stepping out and i've always made house music on the side like i've always just like loved making house yeah you did a house remix for me back in oh the that's day. right yeah yeah, yeah that is <laughs> and like I, i'm always just making i don't know like like there's so much unreleased stuff that i've done and like i just don't see myself putting it out as floss so i might put it out as something else but like 90% of the times when I'm experimenting and like learning new plugins and finding things, I'm making a house music song. And so that's just like another thing. And lately I've just been kind of, I've had my first month off in like a long time. Yeah. Cause you've been on the road heavy. Yeah. I've been, I've seriously been touring for the past 13 years with like breaks here and there. And I have a break right now. And it's just like, right now I've just been experimenting and just making a bunch of things that I vibe with. Yeah. And that, that's just kind of been it. And like, and that's what, again, earlier, we already talked about the last time that happened, right? Yeah. And what came out of that. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, who knows? I, I mean, it's not like I'm going to define a new genre now. Maybe no, I no, will, no. But, and, but, and you don't have to feel like you're being held to any kind of standard. But I'm just saying in terms of like not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Like to me, that's exciting. I, I agree. And that's like that's kind of where it is right now. I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I am just for the first time at the most peace making music in like a long time like there's no it needs to be a certain way it's like i'm just like really just enjoying the process right now Hell so yeah. that's good well uh i wanted to wind this down and just have yeah. a little fun before we get into that is there anything else we haven't covered anything you wanted to talk about no i mean no we'll probably yeah. we'll, we'll bring some stuff up oh yeah, yeah for yeah. sure yeah all right so i just wanted to like call out a couple a couple moments that we've just been yes. in the same room for yes. over the years i'm just going to throw them at you i want to see your recollections of these moments right. before you go into this yeah. you have seriously been like we have been around each other at so many pivotal moments in my career it's the craziest thing from that south by southwest thing you mentioned earlier to the last show of josh and i together you yeah. were there and to just the weirdest things so i'm excited to see what you have to say <laughs> there's there's been a lot man there's yeah. been a lot and the feeling is mutual like you you've definitely been there for me at a lot of weird and important times too <laughs> there we go <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm glad we could share it uh one of my favorites i had to start with this is uh our mutual encounter with the greatest hip hop group of yeah. all time, the Insane Clown Posse. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, again, I can't believe you're at that too. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, just a real quick thing like, every, we were, Josh and I, we were supposed to play Coachella for the first time in a long time. And we were like, everyone at Coachella brings a special guest out. And so I was like, what could they, like our management's like, all right, who do you guys want to bring out? Like, who's the most popping, buzzing person like to make you guys look cool? Cause that's what everyone does. They bring out the cool person to make yeah. them seem bigger than whoever life. they can afford. And, again, and yeah. I was like, yo, no, fuck that. Let's be the first people to bring out Insane Clown Posse to Coachella. 
And so we tried to do it and it just didn't work. Like something with them touring or something, it just didn't line up, but we were in ICP's ear. And so they had a festival called the Gathering of the Juggalos and they reversed and reached out to us. Do you guys want to be the first EDM act to play the Gathering? And I was like, let's get it. So we played the Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> and I remember when you announced that you were playing, I literally <laughs> called you and I was just like, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, just instantly. Yeah. You already bought the ticket. Yeah. It's crazy. I didn't even give you the option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like a lot of people thought we were trolling with that. And a lot, we had a lot of backlash and stuff. And, but like, I love those uncomfortable situations. And I, I love that opportunity to be the first EDM dude to play the gathering. And the thing about the gathering, it's not like it was the first like EDM act to play like Bonnaroo. Like you, <laughs> the festival is like the most cutthroat festival. Like everyone who plays it for the first time gets like, just like treated like shit. Yeah. And so that's the actually real quick side note that's the one thing that i've always loved as a dj is to be able to have a crowd that doesn't accept you and you win them over yes. that's like the the best feeling ever and like i get to do that a lot in vegas too but like you get to you start up with this crowd that just like you're not vibing with you're trying to figure out which lane to go and then you get them and that's what happened at the gathering like at first we went on stage there's throwing stuff at us shooting fireworks at it's us crazy i remember josh got hit with a rock yeah they someone he said he said it, it was like a slingshot something hit hit him in the eye like a rock hit him underneath his eye split his eye open and we were just getting like all this crazy stuff thrown at us and like like all this hate but at the end of the set we like won everybody over it was everyone was moshing it was like super duper lit and they were cheering and they're like we were like chanting with us and stuff but it went from like a crowd of just still people just being deadpan to like super lit yeah and like those are the moments that i remember in my career a hundred percent yeah, yeah. I, I have so many of those i think i'm addicted to those moments yeah it is it is seriously an addiction like yeah. for real and to set the scene for how weird of a thing this was, <laughs> let's not forget that your opener was the band Puddle of Mud. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Man. I mean, those lineups at the Gathering of the Juggalos, unbelievable. I, and then we walked around afterwards yeah. and there was, you know, what crazy like Mexican wrestling and just like all kinds of it, it was like an open-air drug market dude like, it's it's the gathering crazy. is not for the faint of heart and, and like i'm not even saying anything that people don't already know you oh, know what yeah. i mean no like, i mean i mean i almost i think i accidentally almost smoked crack there <laughs> like and that's probably normal for that like someone passed me a blunt and I hit it. I was like, you got to hit a blunt from a juggalo. And so I hit the blunt. And then the, he said to his girl, wait, is that the one that's like, <laughs> there's like a term, like some street term, if there's crack in a blunt or some shit. And he's like, yo, is that the one that's dusted or something? Right. And I'm, she's like, no, no, it's not. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, no. Nah. He's like, maybe you'd be crackling if it was. I was like, this one's oh, not crackling. <laughs> But I just rolled the dice <laughs> of this, so I don't think I smoke crack. I don't know, the, but the other thing that amazed me, last thing about the gathering, how much nudity there was. Yeah, it, it was like this weird hippie free love vibe that I was not expecting at all. There was just a lot of naked people walking around. Yeah, yeah. Like all, say like genders, sizes, body oh, yeah. types. Like it was just out there, and there was, that blew my mind. There was also public just people just go into the bathroom like straight up in the public <laughs> but the funny thing is uh people who are nudist and like me as a as a young kid first like thinking about naked people and i was like oh nudist community i always thought like nudists were going to be like the hottest thing ever 
people who like are free never, love naked never. are never cut it's no. like the the saggiest of sag it's like the worst it's like the same like uh i i was about to say old wives tale but i don't think that really works in this situation <laughs> they do look like old <laughs> wives though that is definitely true but it's like that thing of like the uh all the people who go to orgies are like none of the people you would want to have sex with yes you know? <laughs> so true it's like one of life's great tragedies <laughs> if you guys ever want a glimpse into it watch real sex on hbo that yeah. is like the, the, the grasp of that anyway but i had a great time at the gathering by the way i came away with like yeah, really same. good memories of that I, I did too man it was like yeah josh got hit with the rock there was a lot of like things that i spoke on that were kind of negative but it's still the thing that's really cool about that is that the insane clown posse and juggalos like the, it's their fan base juggalos is insane clown posse's fan base and icp has built a, a community for these type of people to go to like they're they're like kind of outcast in society like a lot of the kids that are like juggalos and yeah. things like that but they built this community for them to go to and have a good time and at the end of the day that's what all i care about is if you can have like uh, if you can find a bond with someone else that's similar to you and just like enjoy life together so 100 so cool man. yeah i love and do you know the where they were that year is somewhere in Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, like that's where they're doing the Lost Lands festival. I know. It's a, now. I think it's the same ground. Yeah, right? I think it is. Yeah, I which is that. like such a funny connection so back to wild. DJ World. Yeah, I know. I was I was thinking that because I I think you have to go to like Cleveland or Columbus or one of the sea states yeah. or cities. Uh, but yeah, I know it's so weird now. Like they're doing Lost Lands there. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. So wild. I mean, hey man, ICP groundbreakers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Forward thinking for real. Um, all right. Next thing I wanted to talk about is. Uh, when Josh had a baby and had to come off the road for a minute yes. and you replaced him with Waka Flocka yes. for a whole tour. Yes. What? How did that even happen, first of all? And, and then talk about the experience of like, because we talked earlier about sort of bringing the rap world into the EDM world and vice versa. But this is you literally physically taking somebody <laughs> and yeah. putting them on that stage. Man, uh, yo, shout out Waka, man. That's my dude. Uh, him and I became boys on that tour. Like he's, so he was probably one of the first dudes him or little john that embraced dance music as like a, a thing they like shout out to those dudes they're grinders or hustlers they saw that there was something new and they adopted to it yeah and so yeah waka he's always reached out to us and like always tried to work and i think i've made officially three or four songs one of them came out on a video game with him and then i probably have like a dozen more other songs unfinished with waka like he's just always down to work he's always forward thinking I, he's the type of dude that like there's nothing nothing hinders him he's like a big kid like, yeah i don't know i i just you can tell man like because that there was one day where that tour came to whatever city i was in at the time and i came over and i was hanging oh, yeah. out with you and uh you introduced me to waka and it was the first time i had met him and i was like yeah what's up man i'm willie good to meet you whatever and he just like took a step back he's like oh your name's willie so can I give you a wet willy? That was the first thing he said to me. I was just like, you are an infant, sir. <laughs> Real quick side note, I'm going to take it to two things. So then we played an after party that night. Uh, and Waka we have to talk about that. Waka shows up to the after party. with. The, this is the first time I saw a bottle of LED glowing 1942. It had like, or no, it was like Clico or some shit. It was like a, it, had, it was one of those bottles that has the LED built into it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Waka's just carrying that around, turning up or whatever. Two things happened at, at the after party. 
what first thing is it had the cryo cannons happening like the the like cryo that always goes off at the well club. yeah because we were going back to back yeah you and i were playing back to back and during that time the cryo goes off and it just didn't stop yeah. it just kept <laughs> going and going and going and then it like honestly i thought it was going to stop and the crowd would just be frozen yeah in place. yeah yeah. well because i remember like at a certain point you and i just looked at each other like <laughs> yeah why is it still going yeah and, like you started like after a while you couldn't see yeah. the crowd anymore it, and i remember like i think pipes started like dripping yeah I, in my mind it went for a solid five minutes i think i mixed like three songs <laughs> we probably played like three or four songs together and then finally it shuts off and like everyone was lit it like yeah. kept going I, like I later heard that the, I guess cryo sucks oxygen out of the room so it probably wasn't good <laughs> maybe but, we just all got like giggly yes. yeah. uh, and then I'm gonna see if you can remember this but I remember Waka was on stage turning up with us we're DJing back and forth and he said you're the most lit water didn't he like come oh up to God. you what did he yeah. say to you so this was the end of the night I'll never forget this the very end of the night we finished we like tore the club down we played for a long yeah, time yeah. like I think we played till like everybody left yeah. and we were just still there <laughs> yeah. DJing and and at the end of the night, Waka, who had been drinking from that bottle the whole night, and he was like emceeing for us for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And he like he came up to me and put his arm around my shoulder, and he like I won't say he whispered, but it was like a very low voice, and he 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 just goes, "Yeah, I've never seen a Jew turn up that hard before." <laughs> <laughs> Which big facts? Oh man, I fell over at that yeah. point and he became my favorite person in the world at nah, that point. dude he is a he's a really good human man there's like a lot of people in the industry you can kind of feel are out here for some other reason and he's just been nothing but like just a good human being the whole way through yeah shout out walker man yeah i miss you hit me up 100 <laughs> percent, man uh all right i'm gonna do one last one we talked about this i feel like in our last conversation but it's the greatest hit, so I'm gonna do it. Let's get it. I, I think we got to talk about uh, your encounter with uh, Dougie Fresh. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I can't think of a better way to wrap this up. Yeah, no pun intended on the rap. Uh, so we, uh, this was this is a cool thing. Like like early trap days, they didn't know where to put us because like EDM didn't really accept the early incarnations of trap. Like a little bit of festivals, EDM festivals had acts. And like, and then the hip hop community was kind of trying to take a hold of it too. So we played this festival in outside of DC, right? Yeah. What was the name of it? Uh, uh, was that Trilectro? Yes. It, it was, was early Trilectro, right? Yeah, which was which is such a cool concept. It was probably one of the only few hip hop and EDM festivals. Yeah. Well, together. and shout out to Trilectro. Shout out to uh, DC to BC and all oh, yeah. those like because I ended up hanging with those guys for years afterwards and Trilectro became a big thing for years yeah, yeah. they've moved on to do other events they're all doing big shit yeah. but yeah that was a very forward-thinking festival no, it was and they would they would combine yeah an edm act with a hip-hop act and things like that but in this case they com combined me with uh <laughs> with dougie fresh who was uh, opening for us and, and kind of like emceeing the whole event. Yeah, right? I think so. I think, I I mean, we came in like kind of toward the end. Maybe he was doing it the whole time, but he definitely did his performance right before us. It was supposed to be like a 10, 15 minute performance. He was supposed to do like, I don't even know, beatbox and like beatbox over like Mona Lisa, Slick Rick or something. I, he did He did this little quick set, but he was supposed to introduce us, but he didn't know how to say our name. <laughs> he didn't know who we were. Right. 
And so he's trying to remember it. You could feel like he was really struggling to like intro us. Yeah, and he was kind of like, it's almost like a comedian, like you're sort of buying time, yes. you know? And he starts like, he had his DJ run the beat back like six different times on like, yeah, like some Slick Rick instrumental. And he's like starting to shout out his restaurant in New York. And he's like, <laughs> he like chanted, he like had the crowd like do a call and response <laughs> chant of the phone number yeah, or something, yeah. or the address. Or the address yeah. of the restaurant, yeah. He's like, he's like 35, 35. <laughs> 17 17 west west magnolia boulevard i don't even know we're not making this up no this is the realist uh and so he's just like eating up into our set so then now our set's getting shorter and shorter and shorter and like it's pushing the curfew back everything's getting all weird he's like eating into this time finally someone says to him i don't know what somehow he ended but you could just tell he was like milking it and trying to figure out how to intro us and finally he did and we get on and curfew was probably like 10 minutes into our set or something like that. So we're super bass heavy EDM act. So the first few songs are just getting lit. The bass is going, it's going crazy. And then curfew hits at like midnight <laughs> and they just cut off all the subs. Yeah. And so it's <laughs> but j- just the subs. Yeah, just the subs. So there's no bass for the last, whatever, 45 minutes of our yeah. set. And so it just was like, it went from lit to shit in like no time. And <laughs> But you yeah. know what? This is actually, the, I think this is the perfect note to end it on because even though the subs were gone, I still remember the crowd didn't stop going yeah, crazy. Yeah, true, you true. Know? No, it was, it's like that moment when the lights come on in the club but nobody wants to leave yet. Yeah, good call. Like the crowd just kept going crazy because it was hoodie nation it was yeah, like your yeah. people you yeah, know man. so it almost didn't even matter and i do remember that feeling really special too yeah and i think that's something you've been able to carry like from that stupid moment all the way through like that's that's the vibe i always associate you with man and i think that's why i'm stoked you're still here doing it man thank you man yeah yeah and i'm gonna continue to try to do this man i love i love what i do so i'm gonna keep doing this until i can anymore 100 percent, man well this has been great uh i think yeah. we're done yeah yeah shout out serata yo shout out serata for real i've been using you guys since way way back so thank you for doing this still to this day baby yeah for real <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah this was dope man hopefully we can come back and do this again sometime thank you brother yeah thank you yeah peace, peace.